step-sibling, but it's also your cousin, but it's also your... Oh, God. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. It is. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Popcorn for Dinner podcast. Um, I'm Afam. I'm joined by ABB. The Ravens are in and we have all the teeth of what's happened in the news in Westeros and we are here as your anchor or co-anchor rather as we dissect all the information that's coming from the Citadel. So much happened in this episode. Uh, there was love, there was joy, there was sadness, there was chaos and as always there's fire and blood. Uh, we are in season one episode eight, the episode titled Lord of the Tides directed by Gita Patel and uh, what do you think about it everybody? I think it was amazing. Gita did an amazing job. I actually know that directing on Game of Thrones was one of her dreams. Like this is something she's always wanted to do. So she's finally made it here. So I'm very happy for her. And I know she was supposed to do two episodes or something, but now I think it ended up being one because she found out she was having a baby like two weeks after she got the job. Like the cast and crew did an amazing job. The, um, the, well, the crew especially, because there were so many interesting props. I think this is the first episode where we don't see any actual dragons, and we were still very engaged throughout. Paddy Constant was carrying this episode on his back, and it was beautiful to watch. I think it was great. I think most people will probably like episode 7 a bit more still, but there's something really great about episode 8. I actually have a friend who did not like episode 7 for some reason. I think he didn't like the work of the child actors, but he said that he loved episode 8. Like, he immediately texted me, and he was like, Amund was amazing. Viserys was amazing. So that's that's really cool to see. And I think this is one of those nice, quiet, dramatic episodes that remind you that this really is the story of generational conflicts and you know family drama in a sense. It reminds you that everything really is contained here. I think Viserys is trying to help us see the bigger picture in a sort of small-ish way. But I like it. I enjoyed it yeah. a lot. Yeah, Paddy really put in like the performance of. I think the, every time a, a, an actor is playing like a character who's sick, I'm always like, wow, these are, they tend to be very good performances. Like I'm talking, if you watch Shameless, when um, Frank got sick in like season five or six and he had like a liver problem, that was one of the greatest performances I've ever seen in my life. And I'm, like, I'm, 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 I remember being shocked that it took six seasons for that to happen, but you know, <laughs> that's just, that's, that's just me. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, um, um, Patty Cons- Patty put in a performance as Viserys. This was just such a beautiful episode. I felt like, I mean, obviously we've made, or at least I've been very vocal about my anti-Viserys agenda. And I guess I knew where his story was going. I didn't want to get into the spoiler territory. I felt the need to like point out his bad decisions as they were happening. But he's gone through a bit of an arc where obviously the seeds of war have been sown and there's really nothing anyone can do to stop it at this point. But he really did try a lot at, um, towards in this episode to reconcile and, you know, him, I mean, we'll dissect uh, obviously everything in more detail as the episode as we talk about the episode more. But yeah, Paddy, Paddy put in a performance. Viserys, you know, came through at the end, even though he fumbled, he fucked up towards the end. But for the most part, I mean, tried. to be fair to him, he did feel like he was solving all the issues, right? Yeah. Like when he leaves that room, he feels like he's solving the issues. But then Aemon is like, "Ha, you thought, <laughs> hi guys." Yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, uh, sorry, we forgot to mention Bakale is here, please. Uh. Yeah, I, I thought Papa was going to give me an introduction. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm back, like the triarchy, I, I refuse to go away. Um, okay, so, guys, I have some thoughts. Alright, please, regale us. When I came on last time, I think it was episode 5, that was episode 5 when I came on last time, right? I was very, I was very heated. I was... About, yeah, about small man, Chris, we remember. Yes. 
Oh, <laughs> Kristen. Oh, we only say once this episode, thank God. But I mean, to be fair to Kristen Cole, despite all his glaring problems, like he obviously doesn't age. Like that's uh, he has that in his corner. Like, he, he looks the same. He looked twenty years ago at the beginning of. I'm mean, him and Matt Smith I mean, have hey, the same. Where you train twenty four seven? Yeah, they have the same skincare routine. Uh, Kristen Cole and Damon. Um, okay, so I have some thoughts. Uh, yeah, so I've been firmly anti Alicent all season. Well, not all season. I guess since she really became, she went into her full-on Nigerian anti-mood. Which, again, to be, to to aid a bit's point, she goes full-on religious not in this episode. Which is, I mean, that was helps a about her being a Nigerian, Nigerian anti. But I do think, yeah, I do think this episode does a very good job of increasing. And look, I'm sure things I'm going to say, you guys probably talk about it later. And I'm sorry to step on your points. I think this job does a good, this episode does a really good job of increasing the viewers' like empathy for her. Because for me, I'm like, oh, okay. You kind of, at that dinner, which is back to what I said about what Viserys does, like, I personally think a lot of what she says in that her toast is legit. I believe she believes what she's saying. I believe her emotions to, to Rhaenyra when she's like, don't go. I think that's all like legit. Let's be friends again. And, She's going to do some, um, you guys know, you don't need to spoil us for us. She's probably going to do some, some terrible stuff down the line. She's probably going to do some stuff that are like unjustifiable. But if she's doing it on the basis that like, because <sighs> my interpretation of that final scene is right. She, she believes that Viserys is talking about their Aegon, which again, I'm sorry guys, maybe not name so several people the same name. It's so, it's, when, when, Amen. when. It's a, it's a traditional family name. Okay. When Renero was like, this is my son, Egon, I was like, oh my God, what is wrong with this family? No, actually imagine being, just, just imagine being Allison. It's like, okay, so this, we've been, we've had our ups and downs all these years. And now you've, you've gone and married your uncle and named the two kids you have after my son and my husband was your own. <laughs> I, I mean, apparently, I, I think I, this is, I heard that this is a like, as a real point of contention in the book, so it doesn't really explain that. In the, in it is, yeah. No, I, I, yeah, they, they don't talk about it too much in the show, but yeah. Alison actually is visibly and audibly annoyed about it. I'm sorry, 100% <laughs> fair, Alison's point of view. But sorry, my, yeah, so like, whatever she does now from episode nine to whenever Alison dies or whenever the show ends, right, would probably be on the basis that she believes that this was her dying husband's wish, right, final wish. To have Egon as 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 the ruler, that's what he told her. And again, this is a man who she knows is, was a dreamer, right? Yeah, look, we we as audiences can be like, well, this guy was clearly high and dying and didn't know what he was talking about. But like to her, especially in an episode where Viserys is like, where is Collis's wife? He would know the he, she would know exactly what Collis wants. So like, it to me, this as the reason why Alice decides to do whatever she does. I obviously haven't read the books, I don't know. Is like, I can empathize with it a lot more than whatever her reasoning was in the last seven episodes. Does that make sense to you guys? Yeah. It makes sense, but I vehemently disagree because I think that that conversation, whether or not it happened, I don't think it would have changed anything. It's like, I think that the conversation or the hinge point for me is twofold. One, it was her conversation with Kristen Cole at the end of episode five. And secondly, her, her conversation with her dad in at the end of episode seven because at that point they basically called the banners and they were ready so I, I, what you're saying is that you don't think that 
what Viserys said at the dinner changes her mind at all. You think that's well, all I think at the dinner gave a pause, and it, I think it kind of weakened her resolve a little bit, but I do not think that... I, I think it's one of these things where Viserys was obviously on drugs and talking shit, and I can understand yeah. why she would think... Not at the dinner, though. Not at the dinner. I'm talking about afterwards on, on his deathbed. Yeah. On the, yeah, I, yeah. I, at the dinner, everything he said was valid, and like I feel like it made all of them pause, but again, this this conflict is, not, is no longer about Rhaenyra versus Alicent. It's generational, and it's like the seeds of war have been sown. It's yeah, but she she says you'll be a great queen. She no, she does, she does. Yeah, but like you know, it's it's what you say. It's like the yeah, phrase invited Rob Stark into, <laughs> into their house. I'm like, yo, come have dinner with us. So I'm somewhere in the middle, though. I think I kind of I, I feel like at that moment, Alicent was really on the side of clemency. Mm-hmm. I think she was actually. She still believes everything she believes, but she's starting to feel like, yo, what is the point of this anymore? Because I think coming from what had happened six years before in the previous episode where she found herself trying to cut the eye out of like an eight-year-old, mm-hmm. you know, she, she comes out of that and she's looking at herself and she's like, why am I doing all this? Who have I become? She tells yeah. her father and he's like, you've become a great person. I'm proud of you. And she, But I think she goes on and she's like, actually, I'm not sure I like all this. I think she's kind of trying to mellow out i think she's sort of trying to become somebody who's more connected to her own faith and spirituality mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. be a better person which is why we see you know the the seven point star everywhere um replacing all the dragon effigies and the freaking tapestries i've been shouting about all season they're gone, <laughs> they're gone. And, and, apparently there's still some in viserys's room yeah 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 yeah, yeah but because that's the only place that she can't put seven pointed star but well yeah. you know what you can't have dragons having sex everywhere in the palace it just doesn't work uh, well apparently it's worked for 100 years <laughs> but I, I feel you i i don't i feel like that that moment that moment to me just it really did seem very genuine from alison's point of view that like yeah and obviously, she has found religion, and for whatever the ills of religion, yeah, but like, it still like preaches forgiveness, right? And no matter whatever things, whatever that baggage it comes with, it's just like, okay, this has happened. We've lost this war about Driftmark. What was actually the point? Rhaenyra has repeatedly tried to put out the olive branch, and she's done it again this time. Maybe I should take it this time. And I don't know. I feel like we don't. We don't know. Obviously, we can never know. And I want to ask you a question about this later in the second as well. But like. I feel like if that conversation with Viserys didn't happen, maybe there would have been something else to, to trigger it. I don't think that I don't think that been triggered that day. I feel like they were on the I, path to becoming friends again. I, I think that even her whole religious stuff is just I, like last episode when she was about to stab that kid's eye. I think it's the first time in over fifteen years that she's been herself. She's been able to breathe, and that was just her exactly being herself. Every everything else now, this whole piety kick she's on. Oh, first of all, it's not just like. Oh, I found religion. No, the high towers are in Old Town, and Old Town is where the faith is. That's his yeah. power. Yes, yeah, so they've always been. They've power. always been linked to them. I get. Yeah, you. I mean, so is it episode two when she's like Renera, pray with me or something? Yeah, yeah. That it was. It was. Our, it was at that time. Yeah, she's always been a prayerful person because yeah. her family is so deeply connected. Connected to the faith. With, the, with the religion. Yeah. So that's their power. That's like their dragon. You know, the the Valerians have the seas. The Targaryens have dragons, and and the High Towers have the religion have of the, the faith, faith of the Seven, because that's their their religion. You What's know? Game of Rope and you can't ever. be preaching piety and defending your son who's out here abusing people like Z. Like, it's a Z. She, I don't think she's necessarily okay. defending him yeah, because she wants to defend she's him, protecting him, and like on on some level because on some because she has to kind of keep the royal family at a certain level of dignity in the eyes of the people. But she definitely finds his actions deplorable. Like yeah, she she looks at herself and she was. She was free at that moment where she attacked Rhaenyra. Hmm. She realized that was the real her. And I agree with you. That was definitely her. But 
what I think is all of that is true. And she saw it and was like, I don't like this person. Yeah. And I want to be a different person. So she starts trying to kind of work t- to tame that person. But I think on some level, while she's done some successful work to be different, she's also kind of pushed some things under the rug and she's kind of hiding those impulses and they'll probably come back, yeah. which I think uh, is what you're getting at. Right? Well, yeah, because of, purely because of that scene with Clubfoot when they're on the ship at the end of the last episode where Clubfoot is like, if you want an eye, I can get you an eye, implying that he would like... Yeah, but it's been six off. years. And so... I, I think my, my point, my, my point is not episode. that... <laughs> I don't think... I think my thing hinges on the fact that I just feel like Viserys gives an incredible speech. And I feel like without that speech, I feel like Alison is still the same. Like, she's whoever she was last episode and next... Like, but I feel like that speech really... Like, we watched that scene... Alison is visibly touched by everything that Viserys is saying in that. In that, and I, I don't feel like that's something. And also, you mentioned Egon, who, if he wasn't an abuser, would have been an incredible character to me because I just I loved his his energy. But um, and I think she actually handles that in the most. <laughs> I don't know how to explain, I don't know how to put this without it being terrible, but like in the most feminist way that King's Landing Westeros could actually allow, if that makes sense. Do not kill me, please. Like, it's, like <laughs> what does she do? She, I, I, again, I believe that she believes Diana. I believe that she cares for Diana. I believe that she pays, pays Diana off. Like, it, it was given a lot of, like, Siobhan Roy at the end of season two of Succession. I was like, when she's like, uh, I believe you, but what? He did it. Whoa, he people, had to do it. Whoa, people, I mean, I had to do it. But, like, when she says, you're no son of mine to her firstborn son, I'm like pull the tie in. That is like that is how what is how she feels. She's genuinely disgusted yeah. by Egon's activity. Like she's like, how can you keep on doing this to us, to your wife, to your family name? Like she's like, what are you doing? You can't keep on going around the palace just she, raping she women. She hates the she hates the fact that he has that that she has to kind of clean up after him. I think this episode, you know, wanted to show us what a day in Alison's life looks like, and unfortunately, yeah. a lot of the time that includes stopping Egon from creating scandals that the royal family might not be able to recover. Yeah, it's back to my point about this, this. all this just really helps the the Alicent empathy. I mean, I feel like Cersei never did this, even like when she tried to chastise Joffrey. She never went this far. Like, chastise. Uh, she would say is right. Yeah, like, so like, Cersei's. it's a clear demarcation between like what, I mean, look, again, <laughs> I don't know, you guys know what's going to happen with Alicent down the line. She might do some things that just nobody really? can. I, I'm still Team Rhaenyra, by the way, just so, just so we're clear. I'm still very much Team Rhaenyra. I just feel like, before to me it was clear cut. Like I didn't get I didn't get why it wasn't a debate. I was like, clearly it's written. like there was there were five seconds when I thought Rhaenyra was gonna kill um Leno and I was like, oh shit, I don't know who to support. But then when you find out that it's fake, I'm like, oh okay. <laughs> but then now I'm like it's a little bit more not balanced, but like, oh okay. She's doing this now genuinely, like for her family and for what she thinks is the what her dying husband wants. Again, you pick what you want to listen, right? You hear, she hears that entire thing and she picks the words. She picks air guns. She picks true brown parents. She picks air and she's like, okay, this is what I, this is what fills my agenda. I don't know. I just wanted to talk about father. I just feel like I got a lot more empathy for, for Alicent in this episode. Can't relate. I don't know if you guys will talk about this as well later, but I just really liked in this episode how like all the four people that be through it, that's um, Luke, Jesus, um, Reina and Bela yeah, and Bela, yes, they're all happy with it. I, I just love that they're all happy with it. With it I'm actually, with I, I noticed that too, and it it, warm, it warms my heart because, bro, they, I think they've seen the issues with like weird betrothals that make everybody unhappy, mm-hmm. and I think 
and and these people thankfully grew up together in a way that like you know they've interacted and stuff they, some of them haven't seen each other in some time they all got along and it's like you know what this is fine let's all just take this and, and go like it could be what it could be much worse yeah like look there's a bit there's a weird i mean look <laughs> there's a weird it's, it's a sense of the drug and everything about this is weird but like, there's a weird subset of the fact that like does that mean that these guys have been growing up and kind of like I ain't like <laughs> I ain't one another like oh I wish I could marry you that's a bit eh but well, assuming bit. the world we're in let's just take it like that and it's yeah. like Aegon is yeah. married to his sister okay they generally looked seemed happy it wasn't like oh you will suffice it was like oh actually I'm attracted to this person I want to marry this person or whatever and and they respect each other at the very least I yeah. think even if it's not attraction like they re- they all like each other like yeah. as people yeah and they fought even uh, one night together also, you know, all as one. They did, yeah. Over, yeah, yeah. it's it's interesting because like two sides of a family coming together because like um, Rhaenyra and her three and her sons and then Damon and his daughters. Rhaenyra and Damon get married and then the kids also get married. So it's like the family is it's like you're basically now marrying your step-siblings. Yeah, like, let's not it's like get the family. To, <laughs> let's not get to that. I don't know if that word to describe it. Um, it's your step-sibling, but it's also your cousin, but it's also your... Oh God! Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. It is. Yeah. Um, obviously, we know. Um, I mean, if you listen to this, hopefully, you know that like this song of ice and fire, this prophecy is not in the books, right? It's not in the books of um, House of the Dragon, of Fire and Blood. Sorry. How do you guys think? Like, how does that change things? Knowing that this might now be like this quote unquote prophecy might now be the cornerstone of Alicent's actions. When obviously it wasn't there in the books. I mean, like I said, for me, this changes a lot because I'm like, oh, I empathize with you more. Yeah. But if it wasn't there, she's just like, oh, I'm still going to do my agenda. I'm like, what yeah. are you doing? Can we? I'm, I mean, we, it's, it's interesting because it did play a part in like Game of Thrones. What part of the reason why Rhaegar Targaryen had a child with Lyanna when they're being Jon Snow was he found the, pro- oh, I suspect he found the prophet- prophecy. And the same thing with Mr. Aemon, the same thing with um, Mr. Aemon's brother, Egg, who was an Aegon. Um, who was king j- kind of just before Daniel was born, you know, no, before Danny's mother was born. Uh, this mm. prophecy has kind of wrecked havoc on House Targaryen, if I'm being honest. And prophecy is a two-sided sword, you know, it's, you can say one thing, but, you know, your interpretations of it, it, it leads you one way or the other. Like in the books. People um, hear what they want people to People hear what hear. they want to hear. And that's, that's exactly what yeah. happened to Alicent, you know, the one. I mean, the Mad King probably knew the prophecy. I think that's probably what drove him mad. Hmm. He probably told Rhaegar. That's interesting. Yeah. It's- I think on some level he may have told Rhaegar, but Rhaegar was also described as being very bookish. bookish. Yeah. I think he read histories the way Viserys and Daemon did. And I think at some point, the real details of the prophecy may have gotten lost and Rhaegar found them again in a book based on maybe Aegon's journals, like the original Aegon yeah. and such. So, but I thought the only like the only written knowledge would have been that was the knife. Well, again... Yes, but the thing is the knife got yeah. lost. It was mm. lost for a while. Remember, Baelish, was, Baelish had it for some time. And it's a whole thing of where did we get it? Actually... I've been wondering if through the course of this series, we get to follow that dagger and see how it gets out of the possession of their yeah. family to the point yeah. where someone like Baelish can own it and claim that he gave yeah. it to Tyrion Lannister yeah. or lost his Tyrion Lannister. Yeah, Alicent. Yeah. Alicent has it now. But yeah, yeah no, I, mean, I think <laughs> I think it be, I think it goes out to my point of view, but family's of, of the opinion that evil people are going to be going to evil. Yeah, man. It's, it's already dumb, man. So don't I mean, they're definitely going to evil. I, I think... I, I don't know. I, I think the the prophecy is a good vehicle for, um, like narratively in in terms yeah. of you know just the the show. It's a good vehicle for all the things Alicent will do. I tend to believe that a lot of the stuff we see in the show is 
um, new contexts that may not have been included in the book based on the way the book is written. Because the book is written from the perspective of people who would never have known this prophecy, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And because George R. R. Martin is working directly on this show, I'm of the opinion that he's now putting in things um, in front of the audience in a way that he was not able to do before based on um, the way he had structured that story. Yeah, I'm surprised he didn't write an episode this season. Yeah, Ashbury said Gildane and Mushroom would not have known about this prophecy. So they would not have been able to mention it to us as a potential motivator. So I think the fact that we're hearing about it now is is a pretty interesting thing. So yeah. maybe it was there, maybe it wasn't there. Yeah. I think it's possible that that it's it, it it's sort of like something that can come up now to give us an idea of why certain things may have happened. Maybe we can look at certain things differently. But either way, Alison will do what Alison will yeah. do. And those are things that we can't exactly yeah. tell you that she'll do. But she's going to do things. I think, you know? yeah, I think it's a... Obviously, in a different, I don't know, universe, whatever, of this show, it's a good sliding doors moment of, like, if, for one, Amond doesn't doesn't do what he did at the dinner, or if, for example, um, Lucerius isn't laughing at him, and then if Alicent isn't there when, when Viserys dies, like, if Viserys is not trying to continue a conversation that was having with Rhaenyra the night before, like, what then happens to... The, well, anyway. Um, sick irony. Can I just... I know this is safe, so can I just come confess something just three of us nobody else is listening sure i don't know i didn't necessarily get it the amon thing everybody's getting this episode like everybody's like oh amon sin stiller i don't know if i necessarily like felt that way this episode but i don't know okay with amon what how amon is like is like stealing the show this season like everybody's talking about amon is terrifying i'm scared of that dude he's terrifying bro Buckley. Buckley. <laughs> oh no 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 oh. hmm. Hmm. like that guy is a problem hmm. in terms of oh no I genuinely think he's demented definitely but in terms of performance I, was like, I didn't I wasn't like oh like he wasn't like I wasn't like oh I can't get my eyes off him like I'm just like I was just like I why you think like, he like, had the second best performance in this episode oh no Kami, you're everybody's saying that like you're on that yeah like, that's what everybody's saying he's saying that he he's he saying you that he doesn't it? really see it oh bro I didn't oh. see it like, that's all I would say like but anyway, but I'm excited. I'm excited to see him go forward. Yeah, and Mitchell is a good. It's actor, very interesting bro. that they've made him as their as their Dame one because he's never seen yeah, meant man, to like look like. <laughs> yeah, no, literally, like it's it's so funny because these are basically like the brawlers of of the of each of either side. Yeah, and I, the way they have these charged looks throughout the episode, it's like it's almost as like the show wants to wants you to like think about the idea of the difference. Um motivations and ideals clashing from both the blacks and the greens it's like yeah. if they have to actually fight like Damon is gonna have a lot to do and Amond is gonna have a lot I mean, to do and look, that's that's something Amond is Amond is kind of doing very well with Kristen who we know has bested Damon mm-hmm. so it's just like mm-hmm. Damon can you go can you go train your kids please mm-hmm. like, <laughs> Luke and Chase keep on getting beat in their fights Damon, ha- Damon has done something neither of those guys has, has done recently as well though he fought in an actual war Christian did not fight. I mean, he has fought in wars, but he, he, yeah, he has, but like not recently. Like he wasn't at the Stepstones. Okay. Right. And Eamond was not even born at that point. You know, which is it's easy to forget that Imran is actually not. Can Imran just old, go go I, train Luke and Jace? Please go train Luke and Jace because those I, guys I think need he, I would to assume that he has been because Kristen was not training them because of his vendetta. Yeah, and I think Damon has been training them. I would hope so. I would hope that Jace isn't just learning High Valyrian. I hope he's actually with the Castellan, like learning how to <laughs> swing a sword. I would really hope so. E- Egon was half drunk, but he still handled yeah, <laughs> handled Lucerys well. Now that was actually that was actually really funny when like he only carried Lucerys and put him on the table. I was like, it was so. Egon is awake. <laughs> I didn't realize this guy was awake. Okay, I'll let you guys go. No, actually, before you before you know before you go, I yeah. actually need to ask you something. You know how um 
Eamon suddenly gets up to give his little toast and speech that kind of starts the fight. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you know why he did that? The pig, wasn't it? Yeah, it was the pig. I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. I didn't... I, I saw, obviously, I saw Lucerius laughing. I thought he was laughing but about the eye. That's why he was laughing. It wasn't the eye. It was because they brought a pig and put it in front of him. And then it reminded him of that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have to be honest, because you know what? Accountability. It was me, like, listening to stuff after. I was like, oh, it was the pig. <laughs> to me, I just thought it was, like, laughing about the eye. And then I was like, oh, the pig. Okay, that makes sense. That, that's a good... Yeah. Which is why I said, like, Lucerius triggered it, right? Yeah, Amon does the stupid thing and does the cocky thing about the strong stuff, but Lucerius triggered it. Um, I'm going to let you guys finish this episode. I'm sorry for taking up your time. Just had to give thoughts. Um, yeah, all good. I'm going to go on a walk now and tri- try and see where I can find... Viserys' mask online because that shit was incredible. I need to go buy for myself. Good luck with that. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so we can go over time and he can't complain. He can't complain. We're yeah, literally can't so, complain. Yeah. <laughs> to end to rant. So we shall start in the first minutes of the episode. <laughs> I'm dead. But now the episode kicks off with uh, the sea snake. Oh, um, us getting word that the sea snake is hurt and. You know, it, it, it's, it was reminiscent to me of all the times when, like, a strong figure, you know, dies in Westeros, even in Game of Thrones, and now there's a power vacuum, and people are scrambling for power, kind of like when Robert Baratheon can I, But can I say something, though? What? Can I say something? I feel like most people are not acknowledging a very important thing. What? Corliss is alive. No, I, that, that's literally what I'm about to say. <laughs> Corliss is not like, even dead yet. What is wrong and with people these people? are already moving mad. Like, <gasps> he, he's hurt. He's down bad, but, like, I feel like now people are showing their hands. And I feel like, in fact, if I were Vayman, I will make sure Corliss doesn't die, you know? Well, not if I were him, but, like, I would not have been surprised if that whole encounter went his way. Like, if he would have been, like, trying to make sure that Corliss dies so that he can take the, the Driftwood throne. Because, you know... It wouldn't have shocked me. Yeah. Is, uh, I mean, he's not wrong, to be fair. He's not wrong. Them, them kids ain't Valerian. He's not wrong, but he's not smart. He's exactly. the type of person who... He's the type of person who kind of like... How, how did Miguel even put it? It's like, you know, he's the type of person who says everything as it is, yeah. not caring about, like, who it hurts. And that's why he hasn't gotten far in life. Yeah, it's like, kind of like... Um, what's <laughs> to get far in life, you need tact. Almost. Like Stannis Baratheon. Yeah, basically like Stannis. Nobody... If nobody likes you, that's, that's a problem. Yeah. Like, you you actually need i know like there's this whole thing in like school where like you grow up and it's just a point where they tell you no you just it's about who you are inside what people think of you doesn't what people think of you matters yeah. okay it shouldn't it shouldn't matter as much to you but it matters to them and you yeah. need to take that into account because yeah. nobody respects Vaymond in this in, in, in this context because they feel like he's just a jealous person yeah. because he's been up he's been about this this whole time like every time you've heard him talk it's always something vindictive and petty mm-hmm. right it's, we heard him at the the funeral. He was doing this. Even at the Stepstones, Corliss had to be like, bro, you're my brother, but shut up. <laughs> shut yeah, up. That's like, a good callback. Yeah. How can I have you stoking mutiny around here? Literally. And Rainey's kind of just like, kind of, I don't want to say put him in his place, but Rainey's was not on his side, obviously. Because Rainey's would like one of her granddaughters to be, to have the, the Driftwood um, thrown, either Baylor or Raina. 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 Either Baylor, Baylor or, or Raina. Which honestly won't be a bad move um, from Rainy. But I did really love Rainy this episode. I felt like I, going up onto the scene where she backs Rhaenyra's, uh, she kind of declares for Team Rhaenyra. She was very uncertain and she obviously has a lot of resentments towards Rhaenyra because she believes that Rhaenyra killed her son. But like, I think that she played that acting in the best interest of her granddaughters because, I mean, I was actually going to ask you this. Who do you think 
benefited more from the deal to betroth um Jason Luke to the Twins? I Rhaenyra or Orenis. I think Rhaenyra probably benefits more at face value. Yeah. Um, but in reality, I think the benefit is somewhat equal. It's just a little different. Now, Rhaenyra's benefit is actually I'll start with Rhaenys. With Rhaenys, she can have her um she can have her granddaughters inherit, right? So the so the line stays of Ilarion and mm-hmm. she can make sure that they have strong matches coming from the Targaryen side. Yeah. Right. So they don't have to worry about succession in that way. Plus mm-hmm. those the, the children from that union will continue to rule the Valerian line for uh, for the foreseeable future, you know, barring any huge disasters or uprisings or whatever the case may be. And in yeah. Rhaenyra's case, and this is probably the reason why I say she um she benefits more at face value, she gets to have Luke rule without his um his claim being contested. It's the same thing she did by marrying Damon. This is basically her ensuring that for Luke. And that way people can stop asking about the whole strong thing because it won't matter anymore. And Rhaenyra says that herself. She's like, it doesn't matter. Because I mean honestly that leads me to something I was gonna ask you. Like, is Rhaenyra desperate? I think she was desperate because she was coming to King's Landing without any allies. Um even though she had the support of the big, the most powerful person in the city, but just because he was in a, you know, in a shitty position, meaning, you know, he was on, basically on his deathbed, she thought that she did not have any allies. But it became, once Viserys came into the throne room, I believe that Rhaenys saw that, that ties change, so to speak, and realized that Rhaenyra was going to win this encounter. Cause she said this first that, like, the Hightower was about to land their first blow. But she saw an opportunity because of Viserys's will or willpower, whatever. Or she saw an opportunity there, so she decided to, you know, go ahead with Rhaenyra's plan. So I think she was desperate coming in, but she kind of realized that she is not in as bad a position as she thought, especially because Viserys came through for her, um, you know, big time in this episode. Yeah, he did. Um, I think Rhaenyra has had a lot to think about over the years, and I think she's sort of on permanent damage control. I think there's a bit more peace in her life now that she has Daemon. I think yeah. it's nice that we see the way they interact. Yeah. We get to see how like in love they are, how much of a partnership their relationship is, right? She has somebody finally who is present. And I, I've said before that Rhaenyra basically has abandonment issues. I think now she seems a bit stronger because some of that has been addressed. Yeah. Um, there's there's a lot that have that has come for, out of this union for her. Um, you know, she has the two boys now and I don't know if um, people really noticed it, but she's pregnant again right now, yep. actually. So I, th- I I feel like Rainey's sort of is trying to do the best that she can to uphold her own legacy. I mean, she is a Targaryen, but she has left everything behind to kind of become a Velaryon. And even though she, like left to her, she wouldn't really be supporting Luke. I think the fact that it's what Collis wants uh, is enough to make her stand for that and that actually strengthens you know the blacks yeah because the greens are for all their misgivings they're they're very united in what they need to do on some level whereas the blacks are kind of a bit disjointed i think rainy is joining them firmly now um is something that really really helps and you know Damon is doing his old th- his 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 own thing too like i i was saying before we did we don't really get a lot of dragon action this episode i think this is the first episode where we don't see a single dragon but we do see dragon eggs and uh that is very interesting them showing us how these eggs come about i feel like um in stockpiling eggs Damon is clearly planning for the future and he's ensuring that his family yeah. is well armed yeah <laughs> um i think after the loss of vigor he's like you know what <laughs> we need to be a bit more like prepared like what's what's our backstock looking like so yeah so that's good 
Yeah, it is. Even the the red keep looks very very different from how it you know it, it originally was. I mean, you talked about these tapestries showing dragons doing some raunchy shit, and then all of a sudden all that shit is taken down, and you just see you know um, si- um symbols of the faith and stuff like that. And uh, Damon even points it out when he's talking to Allison, and he's like basically like, "Yo, what the fuck? Like, I know you guys are trying to use your power, but like you're not even trying to be slick about it. You're literally trying to take down all." Targaryen heritage for your thing. Yeah. You notice the kids are always wearing green, even though they're Targaryens. Yes, like, they are always wearing green. They're always Targaryens consistently wearing green. That is actually strange. That's I want mad, everybody man. listening to this to know now that is strange. That's not supposed to happen. Yeah, that doesn't. That does not happen. Okay, yeah. <laughs> you wear red or black or red and black, and because Rhaenyra is typically wearing red. I mean, one of the only times I can remember. Her not wearing red or black was at her wedding, where she wore like a white creamish kind of uh, of of, uh, of dress, and it's it's very weird. But uh, yeah, Rhaenyra is back in King's Landing. It was also kind of like when the high towers are basically running everything, and it's 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 it's, mi- it's minor. But there was no welcome party for Rhaenyra and Daemon, which you know should be a thing. Rhaenyra is the heir to the throne, and Daemon is her prince consort. It reminds me of when um, Viserys showed up on Driftmark a few episodes ago to to, to see. Uh, Corley's and betrothed their children and then Corley's just wasn't waiting for him. It's like a power move yeah. where you're like, oh yeah, you're not cool enough for me to come say hi to you when you come into my castle. Essentially, yeah. There's a subtle and very cold pseudo erasure of Targaryen history that's happening here and I, I do really think it kind of heralds the beginning of the end for this family's identity. The point where the cracks in the dynasty turn into real gaping chasms for their legacy. Um, yeah. But it, in contrast to that, you know, I'd say Viserys on the throne and his gold mask is such a powerful image that speaks volumes. You know, there's a certain opulence and majesty that he's clinging to even as he deteriorates and um, as he finally makes a stern stand for the things he's championed only verbally throughout the season. I think these real regal elements um, on his body projects actual power. Um, So, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like despite all that though, after struggling for so long to reconcile the duty that comes with his power and the responsibility that he bears to his family, it's sort of hard to decide in the moment how much of an impact he has made on either side because he dies alone, you know? And that's yeah. that's so sad. Like I said before, he carried this episode on his back and I meant it because Patty's performance was insanely good. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And that's why, you know, you really feel the fact that he that he dies alone, you know, I, I wanted him to succeed. I really felt for this because I wanted him to succeed. He was, I've said throughout yeah. the season, he's making bad decisions or no decisions at all. But that's, I wasn't like trying to be like, oh, gotcha. Like I was, I was like, why are you doing this? Because I wanted him to succeed. I wanted his vision for prosperity to become a shared one among not just the entire small council or the court, but you know, everyone in the realm, his whole family. Um, but I suppose in the end, it's, it's a little bit too, too little, too late. Like his final stand is yeah. noble, but there isn't much left to stand for that isn't already deep in the trenches of danger. It's also yeah. wild to me that nobody was watching over him. Like, and he was in his room <laughs> alone. Like, like Emma Darcy said, this episode is essentially set in a hospice, you know, but where are yeah. all the caretakers? How is this man, the ostensibly most powerful man in the realm, like so sick and dying and, you know, they've patched him up a little bit, given him some milk of the puppy on his, on his nightstand and it's been like, okay, peace, bro. He can't even reach that stuff yeah. on his own. Like, I, yeah. I, I don't, un- I don't understand. Like, and how, how are they, how is nobody there with him if they know he can die at any moment? How are yeah. we in a situation where this dude was actually allowed to die 
alone. Like he dies literally yeah. after his wife leaves. I don't know. Yeah. It was so heartbreaking in a sense because, you know, he's he's dying and, you know, he's clearly thinking of Emma. He's like, my love, yeah. I'm finally about to join you. You know, yeah. that was very well played. Um, I know Paddy probably, you know, he he, he talked because he, he obviously embodies this character so well. He clearly lives in him um, for the course of the production. And I feel like they probably had a lot of conversations as to what Viserys believes is happening after his death. You know, I think at this point, he believes he's set everything straight with the people. He's, he's told Rhaenyra what she needs to do. And he's now finally going to be with Emma. Like, he's yeah. at peace when he dies, but he should. I, I just think it's so sad that he's alone in that situation. Yeah. And if he wasn't alone, by the way, Alicent wouldn't have been hearing things she wasn't supposed to hear. But, <laughs> you know, I suppose we'll reach that one soon. Yeah, but I mean, I, to an extent, everyone always, like, you live life with people, but in, to an extent, you always die alone because ultimately you came into this world alone. Um, but I do think Viserys kind of died happy, though, because yeah. he felt like he, at the moment he died, the conversation we had with Alison, obviously, which made me scream at my te- television because it was chaotic. Uh, I was so but sad. But that conversation he had with Alison, he thought he was having with Rhaenyra. He left the room before um, Eamon and I started, like, I'm clowning his cousins or to be fair mm-hmm. they clowned him first but he left the the dinner before that conflict happened so to him and he saw Rhaenyra and Alicent almost make peace he saw this scene that you know it's um Jace and Helena are dancing and he he's looking around he looks at Alicent he looks at Rhaenyra and he just and it's just before he leaves the room and he just looks content and like good there's going to be peace They're even gonna- though he's in serious pain yeah, exactly. He just, he felt like he came to that room and he did his job to unite them and they actually looked united. But if you look past the surface level, you know, Jace was only dancing with Helena to clown with Aegon, to, to clown, um, Aegon, you know, Rhaenyra and this, and, um, and Alicent. Yeah, they, I, I think that they, what they said that that dinner was, was, um, was honest and true. But, you know, there's still a lot of baggage that they haven't worked through that's still there. So it's like, it looks nice on paper, but I feel like when you look deeper in it, the conflict hadn't been resolved. But from his perspective, everything looked fine. His brother was home. And obviously, I, I feel like him and Damon have like a, they have a complicated relationship, but like Damon helping him get on the throne was just so beautiful for me. Um, loved so he, it. he dies Absolutely happy because he felt like he had, he's, he's, he's helped, um, he secured Rhaenyra on the throne. He felt like he's, um, reconciled with his brother and he's now, his love is, is, is right in front of him and he reaches out and says, my love. And then, you know, the episode cuts to black. That, yeah, I think he died happy. That scene when he's in the throne room making it from the door to the throne like oh. i love that they committed you know just like in episode six when they committed to the stairs thing i am yeah. so happy they committed to making us painstakingly view this guy yeah. with like his frail legs and his one arm get from the door yeah. to the chair like so we could feel the fatigue like it was painful watching him in so much pain throughout the episode and, you know, seeing him drag himself across that throne room to finally do the work he was supposed to do you know, <laughs> was incredible and viscerally exhausting. You know, watching yeah. Damon help him was honestly great. And, you know, speaking of that throne room scene, you know, I, I really do commend Viserys for unsheathing the dagger to take the tongue of Mr. Yeah, Valerian. It was, but, it was. I mean, Veyman's outburst essentially serves as a final piece of evidence that people do not fear Viserys as king anymore. Like, people yeah. have been getting away with so much over the years that, you know, Vaymond thinks he can show up here and shout bastard and whore just to see what will happen. I don't think that guy was thinking. I, I, I don't know what he thought would happen. And Damon saying say it's, oh my goodness. Yeah, it's one of two things. It's either he wasn't thinking, which I don't, he's, it's possible. I think it's also a level of like, okay, I'm going to die because 
when he, Viserys comes in, he knows that he's going to take the side of Rhaenyra and like all the alliances he's made will be kind of like all for nothing because like yeah. if he sides with Rhaenyra, then that's it. And then, you know, he's not just going to go back home and everything will continue. Like Rhaenys is going to tell Collis what happened, which is going to be a huge problem for him mm-hmm. because he's committed treason on a lot of fronts here. Like this is the kind of thing where like you have to take a shot and not miss. Yeah. And he's very much missed. Like, yeah. sure, it's it's in it's in the High Tower's best interest if um, Vaymond is there because he'll owe them. It's in Vaymond's best interest. It's even in Talon Lannister's best interest because remember he's master of ships. So him saying Lucerys shouldn't become master of ships is basically him look like kind of like suing for job security. He's like, <laughs> okay, actually, let's. He's he's very he's very personally invested in the whole thing, you know. So. I think the fact that Damon was there and Damon does not waste time. We've we've, we've known he this for a long time. He doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't waste time. The way they shot that thing, like when the head landed and like the tongue was still there, was, and he's like, "You can keep the tongue." Nah, that was. I mean, that's a classic. It's, it's going to go down as a classic game of Thrones beheading because yep, that was really something. The fact that they showed us the Silent Sisters working on him too, trying to put put it together. So much work meant, went into making that yeah. happen. You know, the way they must have shot it the way they would have timed everything, the way they would have prepared the prosthetics, the way that they would have filmed Damon get into position, the way the Valerian steel sword works, the way it tells us so much about, you know, the physics of the world because we've heard so much about Valerian steel and usually all we do is see it. We don't always get to see it in action. And in this situation, we can actually see Damon using Valerian steel again and we see how clean it cuts. Like that stuff is lighter and thinner than regular steel but it is stronger and sharper and it cuts through everything like butter like you would you would not even realize this this person just cut half someone's head off yeah like there was no struggle whatsoever yeah yes damon is strong and skills but yeah that was a clean cut damon wastes no time and not just even in this one scene he didn't wait when he when uh, rhaenyra and um and Damon show up to Viserys' butt bedside. You know, at first, Rhaenyra is trying to, you know, talk to her dad, blah, blah, blah. And Damon's like, bro, you need to help us politically because this situation you caused is getting out of control. We need you to back Lucerys as as heir, but, uh, as heir to Driftmark. But he was drugged off his mind of milk on the poppy. I was really proud that Viserys, like, he got off drugs to go do this shit for his daughter because she needed it. I, I keep talking about Viserys having bad decisions, but I'm just like... I, I think Viserys had the best, ep- a good episode. Yeah, he had a very good episode for me. And uh, shout out to him. Yeah, honestly, the, the conversation that Rhaenyra had with him is something that she probably should have made sure they did years ago. Yeah. You know, I think it's it's interesting to think that she actually hasn't seen any of these people or been to King's Landing in six years. Yeah. You know, it, sure, it goes back again to Viserys not doing enough, but you know this man is frail. You know he's dying. You know that you don't trust people around him. Like, wouldn't you want to kind of keep tabs on what's going yeah. on i thought that was kind of an interesting move on on um b- on behalf of of Rhaenyra's side of the family. yeah i i think if i were in Rhaenyra's situation i would have wanted to be in king's landing so i can see what's going on to this king that i'm expecting to rule it's like whenever there's a transition of power you don't just expect that things are just going to go smoothly you need to be able to there to keep an eye on things especially in like a feudalistic society like westeros where like Anybody with a dragon or an army can just pull up and say, I am king now, you know, basically. So I, I think we're in Which is what game. happens in Game of Thrones season two. That is, that is literally what happens in Game of Thrones. <laughs> Speaking of um, trans- transfers of power and transitions, how do you, and I, I know we've we actually just discussed this with Bunkley as well, but how do you think Alison took that message from Viserys? I mean, what do we think her true interpretation was? Because I know we've, we've discussed it in the light of she heard what she wanted to hear and like now she's going to prepare Aegon, but. 
Do you think it's actually that, that she heard an Egon thing and she's like, oh my God, this is the epiphany I've been looking yep. for? Or do you think she understood that this mess, hey, this message is not for me? Um, I know you're not trying to talk to me. I know you think I'm Rhaenyra, but this is just proof that he needs to be my son on the throne. I'm going to go do what I need to do now. No, she did not know she was talking to Rhaenyra. She thought that he was talking to her because when she said that it's, it has to be you, I think that she read that as it has to be you that gets Aegon on the throne. And because, I mean, obviously we know what he's talking about because we are privy to that conversation of the prophecy. But if you don't know, if like you just see that scene in isolation, you would think that she's talking to his wife. He'd think he's on his deathbed telling his wife that it has to be you to get our son Aegon on the, on, on the throne. I, I think that, that that scene served as like a... a that, that scene, I can see what Bunkley's point was, that this scene is, is serving as a means of reinforcing you know, Rainier, what Rainier already thinks. But I think even if you take away that scene, I think this whole show can happen and nothing would change because it's not... It's it's obviously a sad thing, and it's the last thing her husband says to her. But I don't think that that is powerful enough to make her change the course that she's been on for over sixteen years at this point. I I think that she heard what she wanted to hear, which was it has to be you to get Aegon to be the king, despite everything okay. else I've done in my entire life. <laughs> okay, I, I, honestly, that's that's one of the reasons that I'm like maybe she understood and and just feels like this is a this is new fuel for her anarchy because she knows that's not what the guy had, has been saying this whole time. Yeah. But you know, fine. Let let let's say we go with that for now. Let's talk about preparing Aegon to rule, right? Prepare Aegon to rule, or you'll be at the mercy of Rhaenyra. Yeah. This is his birthright. Blah 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 blah, and the inheritance of the realm. But please look at this idiot. Aegon like, is a waste man, man. Aegon is look a at this guy. Like, is shit. this is this is this your king? So you I mean, just listen just to. You know my son. Like literally, how is that the person that now? This man wants to be Did she disown him, actually? Can we say she disowned <sighs> him? Because she doesn't have a choice, man. She stuck with him. She named him Aegon. She that is interesting, man. Spoiled as shit. He's like, he's a poor man's um Robert Baratheon. Because at least Robert Baratheon was like charming. Uh, he was like he wasn't forcing himself on people. Everyone just loved him and wanted to hook up with him. But like Aegon's out here fucking oh my god. Like he's a, I mean, he's a do, waste do you, man. Like listen to his ridiculous plea for understanding after Allison finds like she when she confronts him about Diana, he's like, you know, I've been, uh, I've been doing everything I've been asked. Oh, <laughs> you know, it's never enough for you, a father. Man, shut up. Okay, like he's an ass. Your silver spoon wasn't silver enough. Please. Literally. I mean, Aegon misbehaves as he pleases. He flouts his privilege more than anything else and ever accused Rhaenyra exactly. of doing. And he commits way more transgressions than Daemon was disinherited for. Like Aegon is the guy people believed Daemon was, and his life is still very easy. Yep. Maybe he is the plague set to destroy our lives. <laughs> like, I, I'm just saying. I'm, I'm just saying. Straight facts, though, because Damon got... I mean, Damon, to be fair, he killed his, his one of his wives and he's killed a lot of people. But, you know, I don't know. Somehow, Egon is worse because it's just a little shit. Damon is principled at the very least. This guy isn't. He's just out here doing... He's impulsive and he's a spoiled... When baby. Helena comes in and she's like, where's Diana? She's supposed to help with the kids. It's like, uh, sis, about that. <laughs> we need to have a talk real quick. <laughs> but no, I, I think Damon... We said this multiple times. Damon should have been hanged, and hanged, not Otto. And I think Damon would even have made a better king than, than Viserys, honestly. But that's actually what I was feeling. Yeah. I was feeling that um, when, when Damon helped Viserys up, and, you know, Viserys actually allows him to help him get on the throne. First of all, he he plops down on that chair a bit too yeah. hard. I was like, bro, do you want to get stabbed? Calm down. But, like, him getting that help, I just felt, oh, this should have... I mean, the words in my head immediately were, this should have been his hand. Yeah, this should have been his hand. Like, it, it, it should have been. Yeah. You know, 
even going back to Aegon, actually, like on some level, props to the showrunners and the writer and the director and the director of photography, everybody involved for giving us all the information and emotion of what Aegon did without having to show us a sexual assault scene. Yeah. You know, because I mean, sure, it's something that's a staple of, of this time, of this world, however you want to see it. But I think not only does this save us the unnecessary sexual violence, it kind of allows us to focus on Aegon's deplorable personality first and foremost. Mm-hmm as well as Alan Sen's shame, rather than the shock. Because, I mean, not to point fingers here, but I think the guys who steered the ship on the previous show might have been a bit more amenable to the shock value of such a scene. You know, we probably would have seen something like that. We we saw actually one or two unnecessary, maybe more than one or two unnecessary um, sexual assault scenes in the original show that barely did anything for the plot. In this this case, we know that it happened. We see the like the fallout of what happens. We see how it destroys this girl's life and we see how everybody around Egon is doing damage control while he sleeps like an idiot. So I think we learn a lot more about the characters and the direction of the story and the type of person this guy would be on the throne than if they had spent time showing us, you know, Egon actually forcing himself on on this girl. Yeah, I I agree with that. It's He's just a waste, man. I'm I'm trying to be objective and not just be Team Black because I am Team Black. But like the Greens are just like, what the fuck are they doing, man? Like literally, yeah. Like get your house in order, guys. Helena is the only person, the only person who like. focuses is Amon, and he's terrifying. Amon, okay, <laughs> Amon, I think had the second best performance this episode because I was terrified by this was, man. I, it's like we know this guy, but we're actually scared of him. It's like you, I didn't him, expect bro. him to be this scary. Like, I, I, so props to the actor, you and Mitchell, yeah, honestly. Because I, 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 I saw him in The Last Kingdom, which is like another, you know, yeah. beautiful shows. In Osprey, he's like a chill guy, lovely, friendly. In this one, I was like, bro, you could do this this whole time. Chill guy who loves to fight. In this case, he's still a guy who loves to fight, but he's not chill at all. Like, do you see, every time there was a violent scene, he was always smiling. Every time there was a possible confrontation, he was smiling. I, I ch- Actually, this is kind of a little bit of homework for everyone listening. But if you get a chance, just go back to the episode, right? And watch the scene where Veyman's head gets cut off. And look at the shot of everybody on Team Green. <laughs> just just look at all of them. Look how they all react. Like, Egon is like, whoa. Alison kind of looks away. Helena covers her ears and, like, turns away. That's what my sister does. <laughs> I see. Your, your sister will come for you. But <laughs> <laughs> Otto, Otto is like... Otto, is, Otto was literally like, um, this can't be. Like, somebody disarmed this guy. And then... Amon is at first like he flinches a little bit, but his eyes never move. Yeah. He's just like, oh, he's just fixated. Like he said it. Like I'm not. I don't care about tournament. He's. I feel like he's a tra- he's trying. To, he's like someone who's just waiting for the conflict to happen so he can show his true nature. And that just um, I am terrified as, as as of that man. He scares the shit out of me. Like cause even Damon like is terrifying, but he has this like quality that makes him endearing. You know, in a weird way, like. Amon is like all the terror without any of the endearments. Because like with Damon, like he has this presence about him, you know. Yeah. After he cuts off um Veyman's head, like they say she deal still. I'm like, oh, I'm done. And like everyone just respects him. When um, he cleans his own and he goes, yeah, it's like there's no need. There's no need. When when the boys were fighting at the dinner scene, like he didn't say a word. He just stepped in and looked at I him. love that so oh, much. Like he just days. got up. He walked up and he was like, wait. He got, <laughs> and everybody, everybody just backs off. That was, like, was beautiful. Bro. He's like, okay, dad is in the room now. That's why he, he that's why I say he would have been a better king than Viserys. Because Viserys had to stand up, draw a dagger, and Damon just had to walk in. Nah, that just, was that was actually mad. Like Viserys stopped. in the end may not necessarily have been the right person for the job. 
And I think Damon would have been suited, but you know, there are many things that Damon wouldn't have gotten right as king. I think yeah. the best situation would have been those two brothers ruling together. Yeah. Viserys yeah. as king and, and Damon as hand. I agree. You need the tempered person and you need that muscle. Yeah. And Otto could have provided that muscle, sure, but he always had an agenda that wasn't about his brother. Like Damon actually for all his for all his wrongdoings, he adores Viserys. Yeah. He just wants his brother's approval. Yeah, he does. You know, and the performances here really show. So again, props to you and Mitchell. In fact, props to everybody new that we see here, because um, obviously everybody's been aged up. Um, I especially kind of want to point out not just Ewan Mitchell, but um, Tom Glenn Carney, who is actually pretty cool. I've seen him in a bunch of interesting stuff. He was in Dunkirk, and he was also in uh, one of my favorite Netflix movies, actually, The King, starring oh, Timothy Chalamet. He's he's Hotspur, yeah. and um, that was an interesting fight. Uh, we haven't talked about Rhaenyra that much this episode, though. Like. That scene with Viserys when she was asking him to back her, and he was talking about how uh, you divided the realm by naming me heir, and talking about how she didn't even want the throne. I just thought it was interesting because I feel like there are a lot of players on the reds and the on the greens and the blacks, but I feel like when we get down to each one on a personal level, they don't even necessarily want this conflict. Like I feel like the only person who actually the people who actually want power are people like Damon, but maybe Damon just wanted approval of his brother. We have someone like Cordy, yeah. we have Otto. Those are the people who like I want power. I want my children to. I'd be- say the most power hungry people in the show are definitely Otto and, and Corlys. Yeah, but Corlys. Cor- Cor- uh, his is kind of a mixed thing because like yeah he's power hungry but he has his reasons and then there's the whole ambition thing and there's the whole justice thing for his wife his family all that stuff yeah. Otto I, I don't even know what his real justification is like in a lot of ways he's the person I blame the most for everything yeah. he's he's pushed his daughter to do things she probably wouldn't have done otherwise yeah. I mean sure marrying the king is she could have done a lot worse right she could have done a lot worse than marrying the literal king yeah. but it, it it threw her into a lot of things she probably wasn't ready yeah. for, especially having children. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons she's so tense with Rhaenyra is because she sees that Rhaenyra is a better mom than her. Like Rhaenyra and her children have such amazing relationships. And Alison is yelling at her kids all the time because they're all annoying for different reasons. Except Helena. Helena's cool. Yeah. Well, she tries to collect to, to connect with Helena and I don't know how well she succeeds at that. But even Helena actually opening her mouth to speak and saying like, yeah, marriage isn't so bad. He just ignores <laughs> you for the most part. So that was, that was a little yeah. sad. And I feel like Alison was just like, oh my God. These children are embarrassing. I'm too embarrassed. <laughs> like, literally. <laughs> honestly, like, it's, it's, it's like Alison being the Nigerian auntie, you can just tell how she's embarrassed by, by all this yeah. stuff. And in all honesty, her ruling is also interesting because it shows that the realm clearly won't crumble if a woman is in charge. But I think that is somewhat bookended by the fact that the people in power are mostly comfortable with this situation because they're sure it isn't permanent. Mm. You know, the idea of Rhaenyra ruling is something they don't want because that's a permanent thing. Uh, whereas in their minds, even though Alicent has been ruling semi-permanently for a while now they're like oh it's just the king yeah, is still alive, alive yeah. and even if he dies like his son is gonna take over yeah. oh sorry we made his daughter <laughs> you know like they're just ridiculous in that way I'm and dead. yeah i i think i think that um that's one of the things that's fueling them tensions yeah. i think it's fantastic that the show isn't afraid to let you figure out people and places only after you understand the dynamics and importance of the action in front of yeah. you you know they really throw you into it sometimes and i feel like the show is kind of developing its own brand of that style of storytelling. Like if it feels like Game of Thrones, but sometimes it doesn't. It feels like you're watching something that has its own DNA. 
and the storytelling is very sharp you know i think it's effective for keeping people engaged and i th- and it, i think it keeps them paying attention in a way that makes them feel involved rather than dumb or overwhelmed like watchmen did the same thing like it didn't care like what what you were thinking or the fact that you didn't have answers immediately like it, it was fine giving you all the answers in its own time because that's how i wanted to break its story and um i think it's actually apt that it did that because the creator of watchmen for tv um damon lindelof you know, he, he also, by the way, co-created Lost with J.J. Abrams. Um, he said this thing that I've always really identified with, which is good TV shouldn't make me feel dumb. Good TV should make me reach higher. Bars. And I think House of Dragon is doing that. It's really challenging people to just sit back, relax, and understand the story in front of them. Yeah. Um, the storytelling devices do a lot of work in making that as easy as possible. It makes us easy to understand people if we wait. I mean, for example, the new characters, uh, there's so many of them everywhere, including Eric and Eric. Eric and Eric, yeah, I was going to bring them up. Right? I, like, that, that's not even something that most viewers would understand, but like, you see them over time and then you, you'll get to either know who they are or confuse them like everybody in the realm does. <laughs> you know, and for anybody who doesn't know what I mean, um, there's a new King's Guard that we saw this episode who I believe that was. Is that Eric or Eric? Actually? That was Eric. Eric. But basically, they're twins and they're identical. One is Eric, one is Eric, and everybody is consistently confusing them. Yeah. Like, people do not know who is who, and we see Allison do that in the episode. <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. Um, but the way they arrange things is cool. Um, the blocking, especially. You know, that stair thing at the throne, where, like, Viserys goes off the throne, and we see Allison standing there, and Renira standing at the throne, too. Mm-hmm. And we see the focus rack between them. Yeah. In fact, um, Gita, she she was saying that while they were rehearsing, they kind of realized what was going on and they were in this position. It's like, oh my God, get the camera. Like, we need to actually put this <laughs> I love how much fun they had making this because it's, it, it, it shows, like, it really shines through, you know? Yeah. I think this, this story is, is really good because most of it has barely even started. I mean, we've been talking about how Viserys' death is supposed to be the starting pistol and, like... Um, I guess now it's happened. Yeah, so it's gone. So it's it's. Now, I, I don't know. Where, where where do we go from I, here? What do you I think? think? That we are in the dance of the dragons. As of ten p.m. last night, we are we are in it. <laughs> it's uh, it took a while, but we've made it here. And I feel like all the minor introductions, all the characters we've been introduced to that are still alive, have a huge role mm-hmm. to play in what's to come. And I think that as you watch it, you should just be observant to the minute details and the minute politicking that could happen, the small moves being played, you know, because this is a chess game and, you know, yeah, it's time. I'm, I'm excited. I, I did like, well, one more thing I didn't mention is that when Viserys was, I think, when it's having one of his, like, because obviously the high towers have been drugging this man since. Bro. Like, he was talking about only child and he talked about, he, I think he was referring to Rhaenyra as his only child and I was just like, wow. Yeah, he was. Wow. And I think, that, again, that's one of the reasons I feel like Alicent knew that message was not for her. <laughs> um, Any other thing that we haven't covered? I think that's all. Um, from me, that's least. pretty much it. But but I suppose I I have to ask, who do you think played the game best this week? This was a very tough one because there were just too many minute moves without any large net gains. But I would say Rhaenyra because of the point that you okay. made earlier about um her, she benefited more. If we came out to Rhaenyra Rhaenys, and uh, who benefited the most out of that marriage pact? And I think that Rhaenyra did because she shares her throne while. She assured her children's position in both places while giving um, Rainies, you know, 
some uh, more of a reason to fight for her team. Yeah, I agree. Um, that's going to be my answer as well. Though I will, for the sake of variety, give um, a bit of a runner-up to Damon mm-hmm. for being extremely decisive. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's like such a funny thing for us to watch, such a shocking thing to watch, and it reminds us that this is Game of Thrones. But if you really deep it, Damon saved us a whole lot of trouble by cutting this guy's head yeah. off. Like, nobody had time to be here for the next ep- like episode <laughs> or two, watching Veymond build up an army or, t- or sequester the fleet somewhere else yeah. or, like, start arguing with Corlys if he ever comes back. Like, nah, just remove Veymond. Damon doing that was great. He did it and he continued with his life. Everybody went and had dinner. Life went on. So that was, that, 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 that was very worthwhile. Yeah. Um, our, speaking of Veymond, I think our kill count in this episode is what? Veymond and... And? Um... I think that's it. I guess from, I don't know if anybody else dies. I think so. Um, one more thing that's worth mentioning, actually. Oh, the series. Oh, right. <laughs> two. So our kill count is two. Um, one thing, actually, that we should definitely mention is Misaria's resurgence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right, you're right. Because, I mean, first of all, when I saw somebody walking with a hood, I know, it, like, the instincts now is, like, anytime we see a hood, they're like, oh, my God, what's Damon doing? Who's he going to kill now? <laughs> yeah, but... Um, the way that person was walking felt very much like, okay, this is like a smaller person. And I felt like it was a woman for some reason. And, you know, that Alison's handmaiden, she's really crafty. You know, I know we've been watching her in the background since, like, even through Alison's dinners with Larry Strong. But man, like, the fact that she's now, like, coming to tell Missaria things, like, who's she doing that on behalf yeah. of? Like, who is the other end of this information pipeline? Is this still Otto? Is Damon involved? Like, that's interesting. The fact that she's going to tell her everything that happened at the dinner. That's an interesting one, yeah. And um, best line? Ooh, best line. Let me think about that for a second. I huh, I think You Are No Son of Mine is probably pretty high mm-hmm. up there. Uh, just because it shows us it shows us what Alicent was feeling and how she's trying to reconcile her feelings with her duties. It's kind of like what Viserys has been trying to do all this time, yeah. right? You know, she's been made to believe her entire life that, or at least her entire adult life, that Aegon is the person who should be ruling. But I think as each day passes by, she's, she's like, go, like God, save us from this from this child. Like, <laughs> I think, I think on some level, Alison is like, if I put this guy on the throne, I think I'm actually maybe doing the world a disservice. Yeah. I think she's starting to to see that a little yeah, bit. He so like a, like a piece of shit. Uh, mine is a tie between say it or you may leave the tongue. When Damon, I don't know which. I was gonna say my second one is gonna be he can have, he his, can tongue. have his tongue. Was, <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a toss in between that. He can he can keep his yeah, tongue. Yeah, that was a that was very cool. The way he looked so calm as he said it <laughs> was just nice. Yeah. Oh my gosh. But yeah, uh, thank you very much for joining us. As uh, you know, we give you the play by play of everything that happened in the episode, parts that stood out to us. Not as powerful as the previous episode, but in its own right, just as powerful. If that makes sense. Um, but it yeah. does make sense. Well said. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. I came up with that on the spot. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, please, um, thank you to thank you for listening all the way to the end. It's been a long one here. We've been Bankley's Bankley's fault, honestly. Um, we hope you like uh, um, the podcast, and if you do, please like uh, and subscribe to, to whatever platform you're listening on. Share with your friends. You know, add us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all that jazz. Argue with us on Argue Twitter, with us, Instagram. Yeah. Uh, I will just so you know, I'm Team Rhaenyra, so she has d- done no wrong, and 
Yeah. I was actually, yesterday, I was going to, right before the episode, because I knew, the one thing I knew for sure that would happen in this episode was that Veymond was going to die. Yeah. So I was actually just going to go on Twitter and, and just tweet Veymond, but I felt like that would <laughs> give away too much. So I held back. I really held yeah. back. But yeah, definitely come argue with us on Twitter. Yeah. Um, the show is produced um, by Bankali, Ibukanda Mani, and um, Chengdu Heiji. Extra thanks um, to Fami for co-hosting uh, with me here. Thanks to James, our regular co-host as well. And yeah, we've been your hosts. We'll see you next week. Don't forget to follow the, the podcast and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.